how wonderful it is to see the fruit of the labor. Exodus chapter 20 this evening as we're going through the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. And I mentioned last week I would probably do a two-part on this one verse, though it is one of the smallest, smallest verses in this list of commandments. Uh, we find it, of course, in verse 13, chapter 20, verse 13, from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, we learn the verse, Thou shalt not kill. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight, and I pray, Lord, as we look into this uh, verse once again this evening, God, that you'd help us in these very specific circumstances to understand your mind, your will, as we look at the ramifications of this very important verse uh, in our society, Lord, today. I pray, God, you'd help us to know your will and to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked about thou shalt not kill, and we mentioned the fact that the word kill is not just taking the life of, taking the life of. It's actually the word means to murder. Uh, as you well know, uh, the book of, uh, the, the old, of Old Testament was written in Hebrew, some Aramaic, New Testament primarily, and Greek. And when you're translating from an, a language to another language, it's, you're always going to get a little bit of variance. It's just the nature of translation. And so the word here is, thou shalt not kill or, or actually murder someone. But what does all that mean? And we talked about that at length last week, about uh, taking, the, taking the life of another individual, the consequences of that. Uh, and we went into, at the end of it, uh, even what Jesus said, was not just the letter of the law, which is not to take a person's life, but actually the spirit of it, which is uh, what, what leads to uh, taking another person's life or another uh, animal's life or whatever life it may be. Uh, it's really the anger of the heart. It's in the, in the heart of the person. And he, he, he talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're angry with your brother, uh, you know, that, that's where it starts. The heart of the, the, heart of the problem is always a, a, the problem of the heart. And so out of the heart flows the issues of life. And so that's what he's, Jesus was talking about. And really, uh, that's something that we need to be careful about, uh, how we react as we're driving down these roads. How will we act when things don't go our way? Do we act out of a, out of a rage? And if it's, if it's road rage or family rage or uh, people getting upset with one another, Where's all that stem from? It, it stems from a, a wicked heart. And even though your heart is redeemed and saved, we can still, we still have that old flesh, that old Adamic nature that can, in just a moment, just a second, can go from, from, from being in the spirit to being in the flesh in, a, in just a second. And so we have to be careful about allowing ourselves, if your waitress gets the food wrong, or if it takes too long, uh, things don't go your way. Uh, you don't get what you're supposed to get on Father's Day or Mother's Day or some Christmas holiday. You know, you get upset, you get enraged, and that's, that's, the big, that's, that's part of what we struggle with so more today. But I wanted to get into other issues when it talks about murder. I want to get into some other issues that I think is very important for us to talk about. What about the issue of uh, euthanasia? What is it? Well, the word EU and then... Th uh, thanatos, or it means good death or happy death. Euthanasia is the act of painlessly ending the life of a person for reasons of mercy. Its root, of course, is found in abortion, which we'll talk about, and has 
cheapen human life. Euthanasia becomes, if euthanasia becomes law, and is law in many states, of course, obviously less conservative than Florida, like abortion on demand in the state and the politicians can eventually decide when life is no longer worth living. I think we need to get something straight. A person's life matters. All life matters. Where that person has Down syndrome, whether there is deafness or blindness or they're crippled or there might be some mental Ill illness, it does not make their life less. It does not make their life less valuable to God. They are all valuable in God's eyes. They're all important. That does make them hopeless, useless, or cheap. And that is true, with, with, of course, we think of children, but it's also true, of course, with the elderly. It's very important. Euthanasia becomes national law, and I believe there's some groups that are pushing towards that. Society will determine who should live and die. Tremendous pressure is put on the elderly who may have uh, dementia or Parkinson's. The question is, who determines when it's time for a person uh, for, their, for their life to end. Who, who, de who decides that? Well, Dr. Ruth Russell of Western Maryland College authored the book Freedom to Die. She advocates the passage of euthanasia laws, laws that now exist in 25 states, at least that. The laws she pr proposes would provide for the death of a patient where there's no reasonable chance for significant recovery, usefulness, or happiness. But what a person believes about euthanasia is determined by their view of the sanctity of life. You see, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, I choose life, or choose life. Choose life. God is a God of life. He's not a God of death. He's got a life. Psalms 68 verse 20, He that is our God is the God of salvation. Unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. Psalm 118.18, the Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over to death. Paul, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 27, talks about Epaphroditus. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, not only, not only him also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. In 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 14, Remember the story of the Amalekite who came and took the life of Saul, even though Saul had, had, had basically tried to end his life. And it was observed that this, by the words of the Amalekite, speaking to David, that the, that the, the Amalekite took his life. And how did David respond to that when the Amalekite said that he took the life of Saul, who was dying, but he did that? Did he say, well, you did a good job? No. He took the life of the Amalekite. He said, it wasn't your place. And dear friend, it's not our place. It's not, it's, not, it's not our place. The Bible doesn't only teach us that God has determined the issues regarding death, but those who are seriously sick and suffering in the Bible desire not to die, but to get well and recover in the hand of God. Job chapter 7, verse 1. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? Job 14, 5, seeing his days are determined, the number of months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Job 30, verse 23, for know that thou wilt bring me to death in the house of appointed for all living. You think there was times during Job's suffering that he wanted to die? Sure. 
He was in pain. He was suffering. But it wasn't God's will for him to die during that. No. <laughs> Maybe his friends <laughs> thought he was evil and deserved to die, but was it God's will for him to die? No. No, it wasn't God's will for him to die. So the question, who knows when, when a person is better off when he's gone or, or alive? Well, how do we how we're supposed to live? Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 14 verse 7. For none of us live unto um, himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. So whether we in life we're living for God or in death we're living we're, we're dying to God for whether we live or we die ultimately we're the Lord's. You see, dear friends, my life is not my life. I've been bought with a price. The Bible says I've been bought, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. It's God's to determine that. It's God's to determine that. So if I choose euthanasia for myself, I limit God's use of my circumstances and potential. So we're the alternate for a Christian to mercy killing are waiting for God to provide healing or take you home in glory, depending on God's grace to help you through suffering. Paul the Apostle went through great times of suffering and trial and difficulty. But it's, instead of saying, I want my life to end, he said, he said unto me, my, thy grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, rather, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He knew he was going through a weakness, and we don't know what that weakness is. We don't know what that deficiency is. We don't know what that, that problem that he has was. Some, some have speculated his eyes. Others have speculated uh, the fact that maybe he wasn't able uh, to spend time with his family like he should. There's lots of different uh, uh, possibilities in the scriptures that people lead to and say, well, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's talking about his past and the memories of his past and all these different things. All we know is a messenger of Satan that was buffeting him. Somebody answer that phone, please. Thank, thank God it wasn't Star Wars. You guys weren't here this morning, were you? <laughs> it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. But instead of saying, oh, God, take my life, he wanted God to use him in a time of suffering and pain for the glory of God. See, even through difficulty and pain and suffering, we're supposed to, whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, do all for the glory of God. How, how are we supposed to live? Or these are lessons to be learned through suffering that are valuable to the sufferer and also to those who are watching the sufferer. God's way out of extreme physical suffering is never to take their own life. An act of euthanasia cannot be justified, for it is murder. Now, somebody asked the question, what about a person who is alive only by machines? Well, I don't know one thing for sure, and that's a very complicated question, and a question that, that is not easy to answer, and I don't think it's all cut and dry. I think every circumstance is different by how old the person is, how uh, their life, how their, what their, what their uh, you know, forecast of life. 
But I think one thing is for sure when you're thinking about this, that every person in a, person, in a person's family especially ought to talk about things like this. What would happen if I was in this circumstance? What would you want for me? I know some people already have and written out a do not respond, uh, do not resuscitate uh, order, that if something were to happen to them, they have that. And I think those, those are good things to discuss because all of us know it doesn't take, it, take but a second or a half a, or, or sometimes less than that to something to happen on these roads. And suddenly, we go from the possibility of talking about, talking about this question of whether to live or die is now put in your plate and what are you going to do? Those are things that need to be discussed. Like I talked about the importance of knowing you have uh, finances to take care of your loved one if you were to pass. And not just for your family, but for your children. It is $10,000 to bury anyone, whether they be 8 or 80. And the question is, do you have $10,000 in your bank to bury someone today? That's why I tell every man, man, you better have a life insurance policy. I'm so thankful. The first things I did when I became a pastor of North Gainesville Baptist Church, Brother Pete said, we're going to get you a life insurance policy. I appreciated that. I was, I was thankful for that. And, man, you ought to be thinking about that. If, 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 if the day was my last day, or if I got sick, if I got injured, what would happen to me? You said, well, God take care of me. Yeah, God would take care of us. But, dear friend, we ought, to take, we ought to think about what the future might hold if something were to happen. We ought to be thinking about that, planning on that, just not going out on a wing in a prayer and say, well, I'll just, I'll just wing it if something were to happen to me. Would your, would your wife, man, have, a, have money to bury you if that, was, if that was true? Well, these are very important questions and things that we need to think about. Secondly, the issue of abortion. I've talked about this issue already at once, and you know my mind at, about it. But the child in the womb is considered a life and known by God. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. For thou my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. They curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes deceive my substance, yes, yet being imperfect. In thy book are my members were written. And the, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. I believe to take the life of a child that's not been born is murder. I believe it is murder, and the Bible teaches that it is murder. We were talking about the number of people here this morning, and Brother Jimmy said, well, we think, I think we had about 120. Then he said, well, uh, Tia had one and Brittany had one. We better count two more. I said, hey, man, they're, they're, they're alive. We just can't, we just don't see them yet, but they're alive. Alive, we'll, we'll count them, amen. I'll take two more, amen. Let me think about the what this says here in these verses that, that my reins, the innermost part of being or mine, covered in my mother's womb, is knit together. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We didn't come from a monkey, we weren't come from some type of a explosion, we wouldn't come from some big bang millions and trillions of years ago. The, the, the teachers that teach evolutions they, they, they don't know the truth. They don't know the truth. The substance, verse 15, is by frame, made in secret, wrought, were woven together. A DNA strand looks like, a, like a, a, that it's woven together. These verses describe a person in the womb. Not a non-person, not a non-person, not a piece of flesh, not, a piece, not just a, a blob of skin, a real person. 
Job chapter 10, verse 8, Thy hands hath made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou dost destroy me. Remember, I beseech thee that thou hast made me as, as the clay and will not bring me in the dust again. Hast thou not poured me out as milk and curdled me like cheese? Hast thou not clothed me with skin and flesh? Hast fenced me with bones and sinews? Hast thou not granted me life and favor? And the visitation hath preserved my spirit? Isaiah chapter 49 verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken to you people far from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly... I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Before Jeremiah was even born, God had called Jeremiah, Jeremiah to a specific purpose in life, to be a prophet. Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so... Why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two men are people, shall be separated from, from thy bowels, and the one shall be stronger than the other, and the elders to serve the younger. These Esau and Jacob struggle with Rebekah. They are called children while they're still in her womb. Why? Because a baby in the womb is a child. Life begins at conception, not birth. Life begins at conception. And dear friends, as Christians, we ought not to be like, we ought not to like say, well, worry about that or, or, be, or, or, or just question it. We ought to just be like honest about it. We well, Christians ought to be, if, if anybody should say life begins at conception, it should be us. We should be bold in it. We should, we, we should stand for the sanctity of your life. Hey, dear friends, they don't have a voice. We must be their voice. Must be their voice. Are we their voice? Luke chapter 1, verse 41 came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost for lo, as soon as, as the voice of the salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Babe, the Greek word or brepos means a child. While it's still in the womb, the word is using to describe Jesus too. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, this will be a sign unto you, shall see the babe. Find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Babe, the same word as above, only described as a child out of the womb. So in the womb, a babe, out of the womb, a babe. Secondly, children are a blessing and a gift from God. Psalm 127, verse 3, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. See, what does the Bible say about killing children? Born or unborn, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, thou shalt, not kill, thou shalt not kill, we're not to murder, we mentioned that. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22, if men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That's what God said. He said, how do we deal with this? Well, just like this. Child in Hebrew is yelled, which refers to a young child or teenager. Here it is used of an unborn child. Letter D. The Bible condemns the shedding of innocent blood. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 10. The innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord 
thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, so blood be upon thee. Proverbs 6, verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. That's all condemned. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make your prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. Dear friend, if God does not judge the United States of America for our sin of abortion, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe that without a shadow of my doubt, with a shadow of a doubt. We have murdered millions and millions of children. Not killed, but murdered. And whose fault is it? It's our fault. Because church has remained silent about it, been too quiet about it. Don't want to talk about it. People are like, no, 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 don't want to, don't want to, don't want to upset anybody. Don't want to bother. That's why our country is in the situation we are in today, because we've got too quiet about things, especially the issue of abortion. Killing an innocent child was a heinous offense. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination unto the Lord which he hateth hath they done unto the gods, even the sons and their daughters have they burnt in the fire to their gods. Giving of the seed to Molech was infanticide. Abortion is like modern Molech worship. Moloch, or Chemosh, was a large idol, half man, half bull, with a hollow abdomen. He was a wicked god. A fire burned the hollow belly till the abdomen glowed with heat, dancing, and wicked rituals went on while uh, the, the, the babe was put inside the abdomen of this god and, taken, and their life was taken. You say, how terrible. Have you ever watched, ever watched an abortion take place? I have. It's a horrible thing. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible thing. It's a child, and it's taken alive, and not killed, but murdered. How horrible could it be? Notice that the punishment God describes in the passage. He shall surely be put to death. He will set his face against that man and cut off uh, from the, from the, from the, off the executed from his people. Verse 4, God is against those who hide their eyes from his to sin. He will set this face against that man and his followers. God's prophets warned of judgment upon the nation that sacrificed his children. In Psalm 106, verse 37, Yea, they sacrificed their sons and daughters unto the devils. They shed the blood, innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed in the idols of Canaan. The land was polluted with blood. There were... Thus were the defiled with their own works and went a whoring after their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against them, his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of, his he of the heathen, and they hated them that ruled over them. The Bible teaches that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is reproach to any people. And one of the greatest sins of the United States of America is abortion. And we ought to stand up against it. We ought to stand up and say it's wrong. We ought to stand up and say it's sin and say this isn't right. Do everything we can by the grace of God to help young ladies who are in a situation where they're contemplating, I'm thank, contemplating uh, giving abortion. I'm so thankful for, for clinics all over the United States where it gives alternatives to abortion. There's one just down the way that I visit on the way, actually not a few minutes from the University of Florida, went in and spoke some, to some ladies. It's right, beside, it's right beside Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is here. That organization's right there next, next, right beside them. And oftentimes they'll get mixed up thinking they're going to Planned Parenthood. They go over there looking for help. These young, young ladies in grief 
finding out at, at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, that thou, now that they're pregnant and mom doesn't know and dad doesn't know, what are they going to do? And oftentimes, the, the, the man who got them pregnant is gone. Doesn't want to have anything to do with it. What are they going to do in that moment? Well, thank God there's people out there that actually care and say, you don't have to abort. There's hundreds, yay, thousands of people in America that want to adopt children. And they have to go to Czechoslovakia or Ukraine or someone, somewhere else and spend thousands upon thousands of dollars where children that are born in the United States, if they weren't aborted, could be available to people. Oh, how horrible it is for abortion. We looked at the issue of euthanasia. We looked at the issue of abortion. What about the issue that we looked at, that was talked about a little bit this morning, even in Pilgrim's Programs? The issue of suicide. What is, is suicide wrong? Is killing yourself wrong? You know, suicide is the 11th leading cause of death in the United States. In 2021, 48,183 Americans died by suicide. Where did it all start? Where, where did it real, what was the real increase in suicide? Well, 61 years ago in 1962, the Bible and prayer was taken out of schools. So when you start telling kids that you, you come from a monkey or you come from a big explosion and your life doesn't really matter, then why not take your life when things don't go your way? Why not? If you're just, if you're just like a dog, if you're going to die like a dog, and when you die, there's nothing there, you just, you just go in the ground and die, then when, when pain and trouble and difficulty comes, what keeps them from taking their life? Nothing. What do young people have to look forward to today? Look at the leadership of our country. Is that what they have their hope in? They look up there and say, is that what I want to be? The leader of the free world, is that what I want to be? Is that what I have to look forward to? Is that my life? You can't trust anyone. You can't believe anyone. Even your own government. Is education the answer? No. You just, you become, you just become wiser and smarter doing, and a lot of times doing wrong. Is it found in education? Is it found in government? Is it found in money? Is it found in relationships? No. So where does a young person go? The only place they can go is God. The only place they can go is God. When you leave God out of the solution, you have no solution, friend. When you leave God out of the solution, there is no solution for the society that we live in. Not, not government, not education, not more things not more money, not more relationships. It's only through Jesus Christ is there any hope for this society. Why do people take their lives? Well, a number of reasons. I think a, 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 there's a percentage of people who take their lives for hope of attention, for hope of attention. They think, well, if I say I'm going to take my life, then somebody will actually care about me. And I think that's true for some people. They think, well... You know, if I do this, then maybe, you know, I'm not getting any, nobody cares about me at school, nobody cares about me at home, but if I, if I cut myself or I do something to myself, maybe actually they'll care. Foolish as that may be, I think sometimes people do that. I think a lot of times, secondly, people do that because they're hurt. They're hurt. Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and rose and got him on, on him to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. 
It fell. He wasn't listened to. He knew his end was coming. He, uh, uh, he knew that his life was over instead of trying something else and maybe being slaughtered by David and his, and his men. He said, I'm just going to take my life. Of course, we know that was the end of Judas. Judas got, got the idea that Jesus Christ was going to set up his kingdom and he would rule and reign and could not come to the, to the fact that Jesus didn't come to rule and reign. He came to save people spiritually, not physically, primarily. And ultimately, we know the devil convinced him to, to betray Jesus Christ and he sold Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. He took his life. I read in San Francisco, the beautiful Golden Gate Bridge is the final point for many people. Since the bridge opened in 1937, there have been over 1,800 confirmed suicide. Many who actually seen it said they watched them not looking at the water as they jumped, but looking at the city as they jumped. Suicide is not a temporary solution for a permanent problem. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. People are not only hurt by broken relationships, they're hurt by words. They're hurt by words. If you took just a few seconds, you probably could think of some words that someone in, that you know of, whether it be a father or mother or brother or cousin or aunt or uncle or friend, has said to you, if you thought probably not very long, you could think about words that still hurt you today. Sometimes we... Say words in anger. Say words that we can never regret. Always, I mean, say words we always will regret. Sometimes they're, they're words that, that <laughs> we just can't get back. Proverbs 25, verse 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Proverbs 18, 21, Death and life and the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. That's why we have to be so careful about saying what we say with, with what we, our words and what we say with our tongue. Because even though we may not mean it, and even it may be in a, in a moment of rage or being upset, we can't just bring those words back because they, they echo in our heart. Sometimes people take their life because of health. Health is a reason, as we talked about euthanasia. A third reason for suicide, some struggle with disease or suffer from pain, the sign just to end it all. They can't bear the suffering anymore. Of course, Job struggled with this. Job chapter 3, where is, wherefore is light, Job 3, 20, 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is misery and life unto the bitter soul, which long for death and cometh not and dig it for more than a hid treasure, which rejoices exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, whom God hath hedged in from my sight? Sighing cometh before I eat, my roaring are poured out like the waters. The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which is afraid of has come upon me. I was, not, I was not in safety, neither did I hide and rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. He was suffering. Sometimes that suffering is help. Sometimes it's an it's a emotional help. Sometimes it's a spiritual help. You saw that man in Pilgrim's Progress, the pilgrim, who had such a burden on his, on his, on his back. And sometimes sin and guilt and regret weighs a person down to things that are on them, weighs them down to the point where they wonder to themselves, why go on? Why go on? Sometimes it's because the habits of sin 
guilt, depression from living a sinful life lead people to the brink of death. The reasoning is, what's the use? What's the point? What's the purpose in it all? It starts with an ungratefulness to God, to parents, to others, stubbornness, stubbornness, rebellion. The person becomes defiant and hard, sometimes hanging around the wrong crowd. The person seeks to support his sin. Sensuality, the person loses their morals. His heart gets hardened because of immorality, pornography. 70% of all men, church out of church, watch pornography. Guilt from living sinful life. Depression. The person looks at the shadow of darkness in his life and does not like what he sees. Remember what he was, what he could be, and where he's heading. Becomes to have tendencies, thinking about it. It's called an I'll end it all syndrome. Sometimes people, number five, feel hollow. Hollow inside. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 17. Therefore I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all his vanity and vexation of spirit. This is, of course, Solomon at the end of his life looking back and thinking to himself, what was the point? What was the point of all the gold? What was the point of all the glory? What was the point of all the girls? What was the point? There was no point to it. He ruined his life because he didn't listen to God. George Eastman, the founder of Eastman Kodak, left these words on a suicide note. My work is done. Why wait? Ralph Barton, a cartoonist, wrote in his suicide note, I've had a few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from house to house, visited great countries of the world. I'm fed up with inviting devices, inventing devices to fill up a 24-hour day. Sometimes people take their life because of hopelessness. Hopelessness. Judges chapter 16, verse 29. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon the house that he stood in which he was born up and of the one his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. He bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew of the death were more than they which he slew in his life. Suicidal people maximize their problems and minimize their achievements. Suicidal people maximize their problems and minimize their achievements. They constantly say, I'm no good. They constantly say, what's the point? They constantly put themselves down, think negative thoughts, and focus on those things. Can a Christian get depressed or suicidal? Yeah. You've heard the song, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. It was written by a man named William Coper. I mentioned him before. He was a poet and like a volunteer assistant to John Newton, an author of Amazing Grace, Culper had in the past heard some heretical preaching that convinced him he was not among God's elect. He thought he was outside the kingdom. He could not be saved. He felt he could not be saved and that God had rejected him. He became deeply depressed and tried to kill himself by slashing himself with a knife. Fortunately, he failed in his attempt and through Bible counseling, the love of a godly man like John Newton, he was able to understand understand truth and go on with life you see believe i believe the lord jesus christ can rebuild any life i believe the lord jesus christ no matter how far down you've gone no matter what past you've had i believe the lord jesus christ can rebuild any life any life think about these words psalm 71 verse 5 thou art my hope O god thou art my trust from my youth Psalm 31, verse 24, Be of courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, 
All you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfied the longing heart and filled the hungry soul with goodness. Oh, dear friend. If you're here tonight and you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with grief, and don't get this idea that if you struggle with grief and depression, you cannot be a, 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 a godly person. Oh, dear friend, I give you a, a, a biography about the life of Spurgeon, and he struggled with depression often, often. It is a common, very common malady. You see, because the devil can't defeat you. And once you're saved, he can't defeat you, but he can discourage you. And he can cause you, to, he can tempt you to destroy your life and be depressed. Self-mutilation, suicide is not God's will for our lives. It's contrary to the natural instinct of self-preservation. It is doing our own will, not God's will. It's an act of cowardice and avoiding the suffering that God has allowed to mold us and makes us into, into, into Christ-likeness. It's prohibited by the commandment, thou shalt not murder or kill. It's a result of impatience. It's harmful to others and is condemned by the good example of good men who have suffered. The man who wrote A Pilgrim's Progress suffered in a prison for 13 years. And I guarantee you, dear friend, it's a whole lot different than it, that facility that some of us men went down to Trenton. Just a cell. Why did he get put in prison? For preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same thing that I'm doing tonight. The same thing that was heard this morning. He got put in a cell. You think in that cell, thinking about his family, thinking about his daughter. He had one daughter. I believe her name was Mary. She was blind. She would often come help her dad, help feed him. And a lot of times in prisons in those days, if the family didn't provide food for them, they would actually starve to death in the prison. And she would say, Dad, when are you going to come home? I'm sure he wanted to come home. I'm sure they tempted his, his oppressors, tempted him. Oh, just quit preaching the gospel. Sign this, that you, you won't preach the gospel. He said, no, I have to preach the gospel or die. He stayed in prison for 13 years. In 13 years, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. You think there weren't times he was thinking about taking his life? You think about being in that doubting castle was real. It was real for him. Fighting the giant of despair was real for him. He fought it. And dear friend, the Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the greatest promises are found in this book. Our future is as bright as the promises of God. And this book is a book of promise. This is the key to victory. If you focus all day long on your failures, we all have had failures. If you focus all day long on your faults, <laughs> we all have had faults. If you focus all day long on your missteps and mistakes and should have done's and could have done's and would have done's, oh, you'll, you'll lead your life down to the road of despair and ultimate destruction. You have to replace the negative that's in your mind with the righteousness that's in this book. Replace the wicked words that enter into your mind with the holy word of God.
meditate, memorize, focus on this book. And when you are, tend to mope around in depression and discouragement because things aren't going the way you want to do, you know the best thing to do is start calling around other people and encouraging them. Sometimes I get discouraged and get depressed and I think to myself, I want to throw a little pity party. But you know what I do? I start calling people, start texting people, start getting in touch with people, 